Well, uh, good morning and welcome to the vineyard. So like Josh said, we're starting the, uh, the year with just some teaching on, on our mission. And I think wider than that, you know, the trajectory that this church is on and just what we've been hearing Holy Spirit speak to us about, you know, what God wants to do with, with our family here. Um, and so we're really excited about that. And you'll never believe this, but we didn't plan this little series super thoroughly. It was like pretty open. So uh, as I thought about, you know, what am I going to do this week? Like I, I kind of have just mission statement really is like all the, the, uh, the guidance that I have. And over the past number of months, I've been reading like everything that the Apostle Paul wrote and just like trying to get it in me as fast as I can. So back in like November, I heard a really great talk from First Timothy. So. This, it's this letter that Paul writes to Timothy, and he's encouraging him, and he's talking to him about, you know, being a, a leader in the church. But an interesting thing happened when I listened to this talk that I haven't, I don't know if I've ever really quite experienced this way, but as I listened to this talk, it was almost like the Apostle Paul was speaking to me through time. It was really profound. Like, as I listened to it, I, I had this, just this feeling like, like, this guy is my, my pastor almost, you know, not in a weird way, not like I'm communicating with Paul or anything, but just, I mean, it just really, like, hit me right in the soul, you know? And so after that, I, I continued to read um, his letters to the church, and, and they have been really impacting me. And so as I was reading Paul's letter to the Ephesians, um, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes about our mission statement. And, and you know, I, I don't mean that in a weird way, but like he's, he's writing about what we're setting out to do here as a church. And so as I read Ephesians 3, I was really just reading it, kind of imagining like Paul writing this to, to the church in Oxford. You know, I know he's writing it to the church in Ephesus, but he's writing it to the church in Oxford too. And so um, what we're going to do today is we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be in the Bible a lot. We're just going to read a lot of Bible and then we're going to take some little breaks, and I'll make some comments. And I think we might even do a little bit of prayer ministry mixed in with the message, if that's okay with you. So we'll, we'll actually stop at some points, and I'll ask folks to, to stand. And I'll just pray for you right where you're at. So as I've prayed and considered, you know, what's, what's coming up in 2023, and we've talked as a team and, you know, with our our ministry leaders and those of you who are like really involved and, and just serving faithfully, um, there are some themes that have kind of started to emerge. And I think each of these themes are really hit on in, in this text that we're going to look at. So Ephesians, just to give you a little bit of background, the Apostle Paul was the most prolific church planter in history. And so he takes these missionary journeys where he travels around the Mediterranean Sea and he, he spends time with folks preaching the gospel and starting churches. And as he does this, he continues to write back to these churches. So, that, so Paul had been in Ephesus. He had spent about three years there. And he helped them get a church started. And so this is several years after he spent time in Ephesus. He's writing back to these folks who he did ministry with and preached the gospel to. And he's just writing to them to encourage them and to kind of keep them like on the tracks that they were set out on. And, and so this is written in about 60 
A.D., so about 60 years after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul is planting churches. He's writing back to this church, and we're just going to jump right in. So this is Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to follow along um, in your devices or in your Bibles as we go. Paul starts out, and he says, This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. So Paul here, he's writing from prison. So he's been preaching, he's been arrested by the Romans, and he's in, in prison in Rome. So, for surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. So, just pause for a minute here. He's referring to the first two chapters of this letter. So, if, if you want to know a little bit about what he's talking about there, you've got to go read the first two chapters. But he's saying, I've been writing to you about this mystery in this letter. So he goes on, he says, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So Paul's saying, there's a mystery that I'm writing about here, and it's been a mystery for a long time, but for the first time ever, people are beginning to understand this mysterious thing in a unique way. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So Paul talks about a mystery that he's already been writing about in this letter, and he says that it's the mystery of Christ. And this mystery is that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now let's pause for a minute, because there's, there's a lot of like cultural context in this that isn't super meaningful to us, because we kind of know, you know, Jesus was a, a, a Jew, he was a Jewish Messiah, and he made claims about what he had come to do, you know, to, to save the world, right? That he had come to forgive sins, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to give people the power to live in victory over sin, and to bring the empowerment of his spirit. And so what Paul's saying here is that this is a mystery because in the ancient world, it would have been weird for the Jews to share their Messiah with the rest of the world. So in other words, they, they are one religion among many. And they're making some claims about what they believe about the world and what they believe about God. And the claim would have been that there would be a Messiah that would come and, and would save the Jewish people from, from their sin, from their struggle, from oppression. And Paul is saying that the mystery here is that this Messiah who, who was supposed to come and save the Jews has actually come to save everyone. So that would have actually been a very unique claim in the ancient world because there were, there were other people who claimed to be messiahs. And they were, they were you know, violent, warlike leaders who led insurrections against government and would do different things you know, to, to try to convince people to follow them and convince people that they were truly messiahs. But Jesus was the one who had a unique claim to messiahship. 
who was crucified and raised again. And so then, you know, power comes through that. And so Paul is just saying to these people, listen, you know, this is a mystery because there's something unique going on here with this Jesus. And so he goes on, and, and you know, to say that in the least complicated way possible, he's saying Jesus has come to restore the entire world. And this is, this is good news to you. And to get even more specific, you know, Paul's making a claim about the course of human history here. So he's not making like a, a life improvement claim. He's not making a self-help claim. He's not saying, you know, if you follow Jesus, it might be a good idea and your life might get a little bit better and, you know, some benefits might, might come to you because you decided to do that. What he's saying is Jesus has been crowned king of the universe. And so we're not just talking about like how to make your life better or even how to get healed or anything like that. He's talking about Jesus being, you know, over and above everything that there is. And so what Paul's saying here is what sets Christianity apart from the smorgasbord of options that we have even today. Because, you know, often our faith gets distilled down into the form of self-help. It gets distilled down into, you know, something that, that we say might improve your life. And if you add it to all these other practices and ways of, of viewing life, you know, then things might get better for you. And as people pursue life improvement, you know, they, they'll pursue whatever. They'll, they'll pursue, you know, meditation. They'll pursue Buddhism or Reiki energy healing or whatever, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff or just splash some essential oils on it or whatever. But we're, we're in a different business here when we talk about the gospel of Jesus. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus, we're not talking about something that's a quick fix or, or an easy remedy for our ailments. We're talking about a unique claim on the purpose of human history. And so, you know, if you're thinking to yourself right now, like, I've tried a lot of different stuff. You know, I've tried other religions. I've tried, you know, I've, I've tried the Headspace app and, you know, doing like the, the meditation thing that's popular right now. And, and I've tried, you know, drugs or alcohol or self-help books or, whatever, I just want to invite you, you know, the, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God wants to draw near to you. And so when Jesus preaches about the gospel of the kingdom and he says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when he says it's close at hand, what he means is that there's a God who wants to get involved in your situation, that he actually desires for his power to come into your life and, and be transformative, you know, from the inside out and really change how we are as people and who we are as people, not just to put a Band-Aid on the problems of life. And so if you've considered a life with God, if you've thought to yourself, like, maybe, maybe that would work well, I want to give you a, an opportunity to respond to this um, at the end of the talk today. So just kind of have that in, in your back pocket, have that in your mind. You know, this isn't just another, like, self-help tactic. It's not another band-aid that you can put on your problems, whether it's sickness or depression or a hard family situation or a hard financial situation. This is actually, you know, what the, what the world is about. This is why things work the way that they do. So let's keep going in Paul's letter. Paul goes on, he says, I became a servant 
of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So we'll pause here again. I think it's important for us to understand that Paul isn't down on himself right here in this, in this little chunk of scripture because when he says things like, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, you know, we can kind of fixate on that and, and say, oh, you know, Paul's talking about his sin. He's talking about what a sinner he is and how he's so, you know, whatever. And that's, and that's so humble. But really what Paul is making a point about here is the power of God. He's talking less about himself and he's talking more about the power of God. Uh, because what he's saying here is he's been uniquely equipped by God's power to bring this good news to people. And that that was actually of no doing of his own. So it wasn't because of his study. It wasn't because of his competence. It wasn't because he went to a leadership conference. It wasn't because, you know, he, he had the right ideas about how to communicate or whatever. It's because of the power of God that came to Paul to be able to bring this good news to folks. And so this is where this really begins to tie into our, our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement as a church is discipling a church of passionate lovers of Jesus to walk daily in the power, presence, and love of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that we can do that is by the same empowerment that Paul is talking about here in his letter. And so, you know, when, when we think about we want to be people who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same kind of grace to bring the hope of Christ to people that came to Paul is the grace that God wants to give to you and I, to be able to move in this city and with our families and with the folks that we know and, and actually bring them the hope of Jesus. And so I want to just pause here for a minute and say, you know, when we talk about our mission statement, we talk about being people who uh, walk daily in the power, presence, and love of the Holy Spirit. And we talk about praying for people everywhere we go. And we talk about, you know, the things that John talked about last week in his talk, where, you know, we, we want to be doing the stuff, right? Does anyone here struggle with that? I struggle with that. And so here's what I want to do. You know, whether you're hearing this for the first time or, or this is something where, you know, you've been coming to this church for a long time and you're just thinking to yourself, like, I'm having a really hard time with this. Like, I'm having a hard time living this stuff out. Um, would you stand? And we're going to pray right now for what Paul writes about in his letter. We are going to pray that, that the gift of God's grace would come to us through the working of his power to be able to do what our mission statement says. Does that sound good? Okay. So I'm going to pray right now. Come Holy Spirit. Father, would you put power on these words that the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to, to us, to the church in Oxford in the present? And Father, right now I ask that the gift of grace for the power to proclaim the gospel to the city of Oxford would come in this room right now.
we're just going to wait here for a minute. And you might, you might uh, see a picture in your mind's eye. You might feel a physical sensation in your body. You might just have a new idea come into your mind or a new thought about yourself. We're just going to wait for a minute. Lord, we just ask for the, for the boundless riches of Christ to come to us by your Spirit, that, that it would become easy or easier for us to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery that's been hidden from people, that's been a mystery to folks about how to live a life with God, about how to hear from Jesus, about how to connect with God. And I pray for grace to come to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit down. Just curious, show of hands, did anyone feel or see or experience anything in that, in that like ministry moment with the Holy Spirit? A couple people, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, okay, cool, awesome, good. So yeah, Lord, we just thank you for that and we ask for your spirit to continue to speak and move. So continuing in this letter, Paul writes, his intent, that's Jesus, Jesus' intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. So talk about word salad, okay? I, the word manifold, that's pretty cool. I want to try to figure out how to start saying that in my like, regular day-to-day -day life. What is the manifold wisdom of God? What does that even mean? The activity of God and his gospel, you know, that his rule has come to the world, that has come to affect our lives, our bodies, our situations, that is the manifold wisdom of God. That Jesus himself, that, that the, the gospel writers called the wisdom of God, Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. And so, this passage is saying that this claim about the world, that this wisdom of God is coming into the world and even coming into the spiritual realm around us. He says some weird stuff in there about that too. Um, he actually says that that's coming into the world through the church. Did you catch that? He didn't say through preachers or through books or through Facebook. It said, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known through the church. Isn't that interesting? And so, you know, on, on that end, there's a, there's a measure of responsibility that's, that's like placed on us through this letter. And when we hear Paul writing to us through the ages, what we hear is like really a charge to be faithful to what God has given us. That, you know, if, if you're someone who knows Jesus, that you claim to know Jesus, that the manifold wisdom of God in Jesus is to come into the world through you and through your life and through this family, through this house, through this gathering, through the church in Oxford. You know, we have some thoughts about how God might want to do that this year through us in, in maybe new ways. So we're still going to, 
you know, run School of Kingdom Ministry, and we're still going to organize outreaches, and we're still going to talk about Alpha and do all that. But there's a unique thing, I think, that's happening among people in our city and even beyond our city that has to do with hospitality. And so if we're going to talk about the, the manifold wisdom of God coming into the world through the church, we actually have to figure out how we're going to like, communicate that to people and how we're going to share it with them. And one of the strategies that we've really been hearing the Holy Spirit speak to us about for, for I would say, a couple of years now, but I think something that we really want to put some legs on this year, is around hospitality and, and actually sharing life with folks in our homes, um, sharing meals with people, and making the space for people to almost kind of come onto the front porch before they come into this room. So that we can like get to know them a little bit and get to know their, their life and their kids and what do you do for work and what, what are you passionate about and what are some of your struggles before we just say, hey, come to church. Now, there's nothing wrong with coming to church and we're going to expect folks to show up at church. So, you know, that's not, I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But we want to do this in homes, around a table, with a meal, the way that Jesus chose to encounter like the tax collectors and the sinners when we read the Gospels, and, and he did this with his disciples. That This was central to the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And um, so, you know, we've been engaging our friends here in Oxford who are already doing this well, and we've been engaging some of our friends in the wider region, and we really want to start to think and strategize around what does it look like for us as a church to take seriously this invitation that God has for us to be really a, like a people of hospitality and to be known for that in the city, and, and even to be known for that in the region. So as this church kind of grows incrementally, my dream is that we would start to move in this community in a new way where uh, you know, we're known for the Spirit meeting folks in power like when we gather in homes as well as when we gather here. Because I don't know if you know this, but we have a reputation in the city. Like, we, we do have a little bit of a reputation in this city, especially among churches, that, like, we're the, the Holy Spirit people. Like, we're the, we're the crazy Holy Spirit people. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think this room is that crazy most of the time. Like, you all are just kind of sitting there staring blankly, and, like, you know, I think, I actually think a lot of people would be stunned if they came in here at how, at how like, really normal and pretty tame it is most of the time. Okay? But, but, hear me, you know, we have that reputation in our meetings, and I would love it if we had that reputation in our homes as well. You know, that, hey, man, if you, you better be careful. If you go share a meal with vineyard folks, you, know, uh, you might, something weird might happen to you. You know, you might, you might, like, you might start seeing Jesus. I don't know, right? How cool would that be? So here's what I want to do. We're going to have another little ministry moment here. So if you, when, when I talk about that, when I talk about being um, hospitable and invitational and welcoming folks into our homes and sharing life with people and the manifold wisdom of God being made known to this city in that way. When I talk about that, if something stirs inside of you, you know, if you're somebody who's like identified a gift of hospitality in your life at some point, or if you even say, you know, I don't know if I have that gift, but like, that sounds really cool. I think I would, I would, I would like to maybe see if that's something God's doing with me and my family. Would you stand? And I want to pray for us. So come Holy Spirit.
Jesus, we want to be people who, who welcome you in our homes, who welcome you in our lives, and, and who, who actually make your presence available to other people by the way that we, we posture ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like to welcome people in so that they can see you. More than, more than just community, more than just relationship, more than even just family, because those are great things. But to, to make you known, that people would encounter the wisdom of God around our, our dining room tables. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to hold our convictions in a way that would be invitational to people. That we wouldn't move off of our convictions. We wouldn't, we wouldn't you know, change our minds about what we believe about you or what we believe about the world, but that we would hold those things in such a way that people look at them and they say, you know, I want what those people have. Would you do that work inside of us, Holy Spirit? And so right now, God, I just ask that you would even begin to release uh, visions, pictures, ideas about what it would look like for us to host people in our homes and for them to encounter you. Not in a religious way, not in a, not in a pushy or uncomfortable way, not in a Bible study or in a prayer meeting but just sharing life with you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would unite our hearts around that vision for being people who walk daily in the power, presence, and love of the Holy Spirit, that we would show people what it looks like to do that, and we would do it with, with integrity and with character. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So I'll just, I'm just curious, again, show of hands, like did anybody get a word or a picture or anything like that when we were praying? Yeah? Okay, several, quite a few people. Wow, awesome. Good. Love that. Um, who knew? I didn't, I didn't figure that would work. <laughs> so there's so much to say here. We could really talk about this all day, but we got to, we got to keep going here if we're going to read the whole chapter. So Paul keeps going. He says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So we said that Paul is writing this from prison, right? And, and if we're to be honest about it, I think most of us don't have the, the maturity, I know I don't, to understand adversity as glory. Because what Paul is saying here is that his sufferings are the church's glory. And, and not in a weird, like, masochistic way, but just in the sense that He's out here doing the work so faithfully with high integrity and he's facing adversity 
and it is their glory. And I want to suggest that, you know, in an age where we are so concerned with comfort and, and, and making sure that our culture is accommodating to our faith by any means necessary, that we take Paul's words seriously, that adversity in this circumstance is the church's glory. And so I think we might do well to remember that that didn't seem to be a concern of the leaders of the early church, that the climate around them would be comfortable for them to live their convictions and, and to be true to the mission that Jesus gave them to carry into the world. And so I know this is kind of heavy, but you know they were, they were focused on the sacred trust of the gospel given to them by Christ. And you see that commitment come through in Paul's words. That was their, you know, A, number one commitment was the sacred trust of the gospel that had been given to them by Jesus. And so they moved in the world with deep conviction and, and a com- really a complete lack of concern for their own comforts and privileges. And one could go even so far as to say their rights. And so, you know, I think let, let's just take a, a prayer moment here because as 21st century Western Christians, we're comfortable. Like, we, we are very comfortable, and it's pretty easy. And so I think, you know, I mean, if Paul is this focused on the sacred trust of the gospel, not, not being distracted one way or another by, you know, the storms of culture or the things that he would rather see be a little bit different, how much more in a comfortable environment, could we be laser-focused on this sacred trust of the gospel? So let's pray again. So if, you, if, if when I say that, if you think, you know what, there's some things in my life where, you know, I, I, could, um, I could see past my own comfort a little bit better. Maybe I could, you know, even sacrifice some comforts or there are just some things that I've been concerned with that are really secondary to the gospel. Um, that's me. I'll raise my hand for that one. Let's pray together. So if that resonates with you, I, I would love for you to stand, and we'll just invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and minister to us there. So come, Holy Spirit. Lord, free us from the trappings of modern society. Free our hearts from the clutches of the things that beg for our attention. Father, I pray right now that you would give us just a a new measure of seriousness about the sacred trust of the gospel. That we have been given an opportunity to bring transformational good news into the world. And so any part of us that's concerned with, with you know, little things in culture that are frustrating to us or little things even in our neighborhood or in our city that are frustrating to us that are secondary to the gospel. I'm not going to name those things because those are for you to, you know, discern on your own what those are in your own heart. But would you just give us some distance from those things, God? Would you give us a little bit of objectivity about maybe what's keeping us from, from seeing you rightly and seeing your mission rightly in this city? Would you give us hearts that look at adversity, and like the Apostle Paul wrote, we would, we would even call it the glory of the church. 
to come up against a little bit of resistance, to face a little bit of adversity in our bringing the gospel into, into the world around us. Just transform our hearts, God. Untether us from the things that are pulling us in different directions. That we would be faithful, faithful to the, to the call to bring hope to the people around us. Amen. Amen. Did anyone feel anything or seeing, any, seeing anything there or even just have a sense of like God's presence even doing some work inside of your soul? Yeah, maybe, good. Very cool. So now Paul kind of transitions. So for the first half of the letter, he's been writing about the gospel and he's been talking about, you know, this mystery, right? And now he almost kind of switches into like pastor mode because he's these people's pastor. You know, he's the one that brought them the, the gospel for the first time. They heard it out of his mouth for the very first time. And, and so they have this like deep bond of trust with Paul and then they see him as, you know, the, really the genius that, that he was. And so he, he just kind of switches into this mode of actually praying for the church. And so we're not going to do the like stand up, sit down thing. But what I want you to do is just listen to Paul as he prays for you through time. You know, and, and even, even I would say, you know, think about it like this. Like our team here at this church, like the Richters and my family and the Joneses, and, you know, like we're praying for you. Like we're praying this for you, you know, that, that as we do this together and, and God has given us this vocation of ministry to do it together with you that we're, we want to pray for you the way that Paul is praying for all of us through time. So listen, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful prayer. You know, I know in our tradition, we pray, we, we pray with our own words. Often, you know, we pray and we just kind of come up with the words as we pray. That's called extemporaneous prayer, where we're just making it up as we go. But there are these apostolic prayers throughout the New Testament that like the apostles, the church fathers are praying for the church through time. I would encourage you to read those and even pray those for yourself because there is a lot of power in, in what Paul just prayed. I don't have those words, <laughs> you know? And so that's beautiful. So what's Paul saying? He's saying this life will not be easy, right? He just got done explaining that he's writing from prison and that it is our glory that he's writing to us from prison. So he says this life won't be easy. And for this reason, what's the reason? Because of adversity. Um, it's important to have a strong inner life. He's saying that, you know, he's praying that, that, this, that we would uh, be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. And so that's why we talk about, like, contemplative prayer and having a healthy inner life. And, you know, it can be easy to look at those things as, like, an avenue to have a spiritual experience or to feel better about yourself or to clear your head. But when we're talking about contemplative practices and things like you know, pray, like Lectio Divina and spiritual direction and all those sorts of things that come up. The reason that we engage in those practices 
is so that we would be strengthened, like, like the Apostle Paul prays, so that we would be strengthened in our innermost being for this life. You know, and when adversity comes, we wouldn't be moved off the task of the gospel, but we would actually have deep within us planted this understanding of the love of God. And so, you know, it's, it's the, the, pro, the conundrum that the world is in where we have dishonest leaders and we have folks who, you know, every day there's another moral failing or there's another whatever, right? I mean, we know, we hear about it. And, and the reason that that has leached into the church and it affects pastors and authors and teachers that we love and respect is because of a lack of this. It's because of a lack of really taking seriously being strengthened in our innermost being uh, by the power of God through his spirit. Because what that does is it doesn't just produce like a sound mind in us, but it produces character and integrity. And so as, as followers of Jesus, when we get like disconnected from some of those core practices, you know, studying and meditating on scripture, praying the word, you know, meeting with trusted spiritual advisors, sharing life with people. When we get untethered from those practices, that's when our, our character and our integrity actually begin to, to fall apart and crumble. And that's when people, you know, are unfaithful to their spouses or they end up in a, in a dishonest situation at work where they embezzle money or they, you know, whatever. I mean, that's, that's why those things happen to believers because we get untethered from the practices that form character inside of us. So let's keep going on. This is probably the part that most of us know best. The next thing he prays, he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We've heard that one before, right? Yeah. What a beautiful prayer. And so when we talk about, again, being people who are walking daily in the power, presence, and love of the Holy Spirit, what we mean is that we are being rooted and established in love, that we would have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Because when we say that the love of Jesus is the thing that transforms us, when we say that that's the thing that compels us to reach the world, when we say that's the thing that compels us to pray for folks or you know, to do work with the poor or to work on housing and homelessness or to, you know, whatever, any of the, the litany of things that we spend our time doing. It's not a shallow kind of understanding of this love of God that compels us to do those things. It's not just knowing the love of God as a concept and saying, you know, oh, okay, because God loves, God's love exists, then I should do these things. It's about having that love worked so deep down inside of our soul that we're formed by it and our actions are informed by it. Not in a conscious way, but in a subconscious way. That that thing has become so a part of us that we would move in the world like the Apostle Paul did. With just immense, immense faithfulness to God and faithfulness to the church, to his church. 
And so pray that. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for your family. Pray that for you know, your neighborhood. Pray that for your small group, whatever. Pray, pray that passage because the more we engage with that, the more we ask the Holy Spirit for his power to experience God's love that way, the more we will. And <clears throat> I just want to mention briefly, you know, I, I don't really need to make this case to this room because I think a lot of us are into the whole Holy Spirit thing. But when folks study these passages divorced from the real power of the Holy Spirit, like the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit moving among people, it actually lacks a lot of dimension because every time Paul talks about the love of God or he talks about, you know, being a certain way or God doing something in your life, it's always connected to the power of the Spirit. Did you notice that? He always says that the power of the Spirit will work this into you. And so, you know, we, we talk a lot about healing and we talk a lot about deliverance, but in our ministry times, like when we're, when we're just, you know, praying for folks at the end of the service and you're standing there and, and, you know, or sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't really have any pain in my body. I guess I don't really need prayer. You know, I'm, I'll just stay here. I'll keep worshiping. It's probably a good idea to get prayer because you also need the power of the Holy Spirit to come on you to work the love of God into your life. Have you ever thought about it that way? You know, that when you can't think of anything else to get prayer for, you should probably get prayer that the Holy Spirit would just work God's love deeper into your, into your soul because that's the way that it happens, is by the power of the Spirit, is the case that Paul's making here. So then he closes the letter saying, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, then all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to, be, to, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So I don't have a lot to say about that. That was a beautiful closing, and he said another thing about the power of God, which we just talked about. Um, so honestly, at this point, this is, this is kind of how this would go, you know, like when Paul wrote these letters, people would just take them to the churches and they would just read them straight through. They would just read the whole letter and then they would worship. So I think what we're going to do is the worship team can come on back up. And so now that we've read the letter and we've done a little bit of praying, a little bit of that, we're going to worship. And, and I think, you know, as we worship, we'll have some, some ministry time mixed in as we do. And just meditate on these things, you know, the things that stood out to you, whether it's the hospitality piece or it's the, you know, the, the, the gospel piece or whatever, and just let the Holy Spirit work that into you and, and engage in worship and see what he wants to do. So I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. So if you can, would you, would you stand with me one more time? Jesus, we love your presence. We love your presence. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present to heal. You're present to deliver. You're present to free us from bondage, from bondage from our past, from bondage from culture, from bondage from whatever, whatever it is that we're experiencing. We need to show up and do what you do. So come, Holy Spirit. And if you do happen to be in the room and, and you listen to that whole thing and you're thinking about a life with God and, and you've never made that commitment to make Jesus the Lord of your life, um, I just want to encourage you, you know, the time is now. There's, the prayer team's going to make their way to the back. And, and so if that's a prayer that you have never prayed before, 
uh, you know, head on back there. And one of those folks would love to pray for you. But this is this is your moment. You know, if you have not drawn a line in the sand before and, and said, you know, I need God in my life, not to fix my life, but because I can't run it on my own. I'm just, I'm, I'm not good enough at it. I don't make good enough decisions. I don't have enough wisdom, you know, then, then this is the moment. So feel free, make your way uh, to the back and those folks would love to pray for you. So let's worship together.